Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and business initiatives that help your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for the legal, insurance, and law enforcement industries. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, a New England-based business serving the legal community nationwide since 1966. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening in today. My name is Jared Correa, and I'm the Law Practice Management Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. Massachusetts LOMAP provides free and confidential consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP, visit www.masslomap.org or check out our blog at masslomap.blogspot.com. Just type LOMAP into Google, and that'll be your first entry. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting. To find out more about Catuno's services, visit www.catuno.cc. On the Legal Toolkit, we cover a diverse range of subjects essentially important to attorneys. Each month, we provide you with another tool to add to your Legal Toolkit so that your practices can become more and more representative of best practices. So this past April, I've traveled extensively across the world, wide web, to provide you the best in practice management information. On today's show, we're going to take a look at the virtual practice of law, including the technology components, the benefits of such systems, and the impact of the virtual practice upon the future of the legal profession and law practice management. Joining me today is Stephanie Kimbrough. Stephanie operates a web-based virtual law office in North Carolina, where she practices estate planning and small business law online. She's the co-founder of Virtual Law Office Technology, LLC, VLO Tech for short, which was required by, excuse me, which was acquired by Total Attorneys in the fall of 2009. Stephanie writes about the technology and ethics issues of delivering legal services online at her blog, virtuallawpractice.org. She has also written a book on virtual practice for the ABA's law practice management section. That's out this summer, so check it out for some beach reading. Stephanie, welcome to the Legal Toolkit. Thank you, Jared. Glad to be here. Wilbur and Orville Wright. Eric Mazzoni of the uh, Center for Law Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association. Lee Rosen, 2010 Keene Award winner for excellence in e-lawyering. Stephanie Kimbrough, the 2009 winner of the same award. Stephanie, what is it about North Carolina that breeds genius? <laughs> uh, maybe it's the warm beach weather. I'm not sure. I live down here close to the beach, so that's what I'll credit it to. And I'm jealous. All those summers coming on in Massachusetts. Just what is a virtual law practice? Um, well, a virtual law practice is essentially a professional law practice, but it's located securely online, and the key component is a client portal. So both the attorney and the client have a secure way of communicating and, and working together online from the initiation of the attorney-client relationship through... Um, the entire process uh, through to the rendering and payment of the legal services. So it's a professional law practice, but it's all located all online and and web-based. Great. Um, Now, how can attorneys use a virtual law office to deliver legal services online? Well, there there are a couple of ways that we're seeing attorneys use practices. Mine is completely web-based. I work from my home and... um, I I do that so that I can I be with my two young children and have sort of a, a better work life balance, more flexibility. So mine is is completely web based, but 
um, other attorneys are using virtual law offices and as a way to to communicate with their existing in-person clients. So they're integrating them into a traditional brick-and-mortar law practice and sort of adding this technology component to both provide their in-person clients with an, an amenity mm-hmm. of, you know, having online access to documents, um, working with them online, but also um, those existing practices are using it as a way to kind of tap into an additional online client base and sort of expand um, their reach across, you know, the jurisdictions where their attorneys are licensed to practice. So um, we're kind of seeing, you know, two different ways that the virtual law practices is being adopted by legal professionals. Great. And uh, so what are some of the benefits of a virtual law practice for attorneys and for clients? Well, for attorneys, um, it's, like I said, it's the flexibility, the work-life balance, you know, the personal side. Professional side, um, the benefits are, it's cost-effective. I, for example, if you're completely web-based, don't have a law office lease, I have to pay very little for um, office expenses. I don't don't use paper. It's pretty much a paperless law office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also less expensive than if I were to, you know to pay for software storage, uh, server hardware, um, hiring an IT professional because the software that creates it is is software as a service, which you know we can talk about a little bit later if you'd like. But um, it's basically that time saving and um, and not having to hire you know a professional to help me keep up my law office. My law office is all online. So especially for solos and small firms, there's a real economic benefit to that. And then for my clients, it's convenience. I can see when I log into my my law office uh, when my clients are coming online to work with me, and it's usually eight you know eight o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning before they go to work, or it's later in the evening uh, when their children are asleep. Um, mm-hmm. So you know it's it's convenient for them because they can do it when it's they don't have to take time off of work. They don't have to pay for childcare to come into an office several times, you know, to, to make appointments. Um, so there's a convenience for them that way, but then they can also pay me online, which especially in this economy, um, I'm finding that a lot of my clients are grateful for being able to budget that way, um, mm-hmm. pay with a credit card. Um, I have payment plans set up online for them so they can kind of budget out their legal expenses. Um, so that's another big benefit for clients. And most of my clients are, I'd say, lower to moderate um, means individuals, mostly families. So it, it really is, uh, you know, about providing greater access to justice for people who might otherwise be, you know, maybe too intimidated to go to a law office or just assume they can't afford legal services. Um, this sort of this provides an alternative for that. Yeah, that, that sounds great and uh, beneficial on both the client side and the attorney side. So let's talk about the technology specifically that creates a virtual law practice. I mean, what, what sort of technology platform do you need to do something like this? Um, well, the technology used is uh, software as a service, which is a um, hosted system. It means that my data is, you hear the term in the cloud, the software as a service is a type of um, the method of cloud computing, just one method of cloud computing, but it means that all of my law office data is hosted on a server by a third-party uh, provider. The benefits of that are, you know, as I said, they're handling the backups, the daily backups, the 
all of my law office data is in a data center, and um, it's a tier four data center, which is um, means that it has uh, climate control, fireproofing. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it's like the same security that a bank and government entity uses. My law office data is backed up by that. It's like multi-million dollar facility that you know, I obviously couldn't afford as a solo. So um, there's there's that benefit to software as a service. Um, so that's 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 um, that's how my law office is is, is hosted. Um, but there are different ways. Some attorneys are are using um, legal software as a service products designed specifically for attorneys to practice law online and deliver legal services online. But there are other attorneys who are using um, different forms of software as a service applications and kind of piecemealing together those applications to deliver legal services online. So um, you know there are different ways to do it. Um, but I think the key is just finding the technology that's that focuses on the security and the confidentiality. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility for folks who might want to get into this. And the yeah, question that is really, really is. to it is really to dive down and to figure out what the security requirements are that are needed for a law office, it sounds like to me. Right. I'd say the key is doing your research, um, educating mm-hmm. yourself on the different uh, solutions that are out there, and then doing the research on the individual providers uh, and the vendors. And... Um, seeing how receptive they are to your concerns and what their answers are. Uh, I mean, I think that's probably step step one to going out mm-hmm. into virtual law practice is doing that, that type of research and feeling comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, are there types of practices that a virtual law office option would work better for than others? And through a VLO, how would you build a client base? Yeah, um, certainly it lends itself to more transactional practices. Uh, my practice, for example, is estate planning and small business setup. So I just do uh, more basic estate planning, and I do uh, set up LLCs or corporations. And the key to virtual law practice, if you're completely web-based, is you're looking at providing unbundling. You're unbundling legal services. So um, any practice area where you can, you know, professionally responsibly unbundle the legal services, you can do that online. Um, and there's some ethical issues with providing unbundled services. But, you know, a practice like elder law, where your client base is probably not going to be as comfortable coming to you online for legal services, that may not be the ideal practice area. Um, one that is would be intellectual property, where you're able to provide services. You know, it's federal law, so you can expand outside of just the state law jurisdiction where you're licensed. And a lot of your clients are going to be individuals who perhaps are tech-savvy. Um, so, yeah, it really depends on the practice area, but also on the type of practice you've set up. If you are a brick-and-mortar mortar law office and you can provide that full-service representation in addition to online, or if you're doing just completely web-based and can only provide the unbundled services. And so when you're establishing this practice um, and you don't have a brick-and-mortar office or your main practice is focused on this VLO option, how do you, how do you start to gain clients? And, and do you need those types of tech-savvy clients, or is it fairly easy for people with some basic knowledge of computers to sort of ramp up to engaging you in this uh, platform? Well, I think anymore, it's, the public is familiar with going online for other professional services. I mean, they bank online, they invest online, they shop online. Uh, I think the legal profession is probably one of the last to really, um, you know, meet that consumer demand for for online 
service. And I, I found that my clients are, are ready for that. And, it, you know, as long as they can do email, they're comfortable going online and, and working with me because mm-hmm. they do that with all their, a lot of their other transactions. Um, I, my clients, you know, they're not, they're not tech savvy. Again, they're estate planning clients. And I'd say most of them are between, my client base is between the ages of 30 and 60. Um, I'm down here by the coast, so I end up with a lot of retirees, actually, who are in their mm-hmm. 60s and 70s needing to have their estate planning updated because they've just retired down here. Um, so I was kind of surprised by that age difference. Um, when I mm-hmm. first started out, I thought, oh, we'll just be people in their 20s who are familiar with yep. you know, that, that Facebook generation. But really, it hasn't mm-hmm. been. It's been what I'd consider my client base would be if I just hung up a traditional shingle. Um, so that's been a pleasant surprise. Um, but I think, too, the client base is like hanging your own shingle when you're a, oh, a completely web-based. It, it takes time to build that online reputation uh, for your virtual office. A lot of the marketing is similar to what I'd have to do if I had just hung a shingle on, on a law office. And it takes time and consistency. And it took about, you know, nine months to a year to really see a steady client base coming through my website and registering. And then after that, it just built on, you know, referrals and um, the reputation that I gained uh, locally and then uh, regionally. Yeah. And do you find yourself doing mostly web-based marketing or are you doing some more traditional marketing as well? Yeah. The first year I tried traditional marketing thinking that's what I needed to do and that did not work at all. So I wasted a lot of money that way. And now my marketing, because my client's I mean, they're going to Google and looking for an attorney. They're not flipping mm-hmm. through the yellow pages. So um, I shifted my focus, and even more so now, my marketing is through social media. Yep. Um, and most of that's free. It's just, again, a question of consistency and uh, and ta- more time than money, really. Yeah, so not only was it uh, more effective to go online, but it sounds like you saved some money, too. So that's yes. always good. Mm-hmm. Um been a good conversation so far. Uh, we're running out of time in the first part of the show here, so we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have more on the virtual law office option with Stephanie Kimbrough. Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription have been providing innovative dictation and transcription services since 1966. Our patented technologies and compliance solutions continue to set the standard for the legal community. Find out more about how we can create your legal toolkit at katuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. Or call 888-228-8646. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait.
Welcome back to the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm fortunate to be joined by Stephanie Kimbrough, who operates a web-based virtual law office in North Carolina, where she practices estate planning and small business law online. And uh, Stephanie's lucky. I think this is the first time that I'm actually going to hit the appropriate time for one of these podcasts and not go over. So let's jump right back into it. Um, Stephanie, as you know, your home state of North Carolina recently issued a proposed ethics opinion relative to the use of SAAS products, which we've discussed a little bit here, by attorneys. So what are your thoughts on that opinion? Um, I think in general, it was very positive to... um the use of software as a service in law practice management. Um, I was very um, pleased with the ethics committee's response. Um, they, I know they received a lot of comments, not just from attorneys here in North Carolina, but uh, across the nation who rely on software as a service um, applications to run their practices. So they responded to that. And the stance that they took was more of... Um, and this is just the you know the proposed opinion, but it was more yeah. of guiding and providing guidance to the attorneys rather than setting fixed mandates for or requirements for the use of the software. And I think that was real important because the technology evolves so quickly and changes, um, you know, every month that that trying to create an ethics opinion that was real tech-specific would really have been, I think, um, a hindrance to future innovation mm-hmm. in technology for, for law practice management. So I, I was very pleased with that. They took, they, they broke the opinion, the proposed opinion, down into two inquiries. And the second inquiry has a list of um, questions to ask and be comfortable with uh, the answers uh, from a potential software provider before you start to use it to deliver legal services online. And I thought that was really useful. And I expect the, the committee will tailor that down a bit from 23 questions. Um, but it'll be a really good guideline. I think they're one of the first states to to really go through and examine software as a service in law practice management. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. So it sounds like you think it's a good start. I do. I do. Great. Now, now more generally, uh, what are some of the ethics issues uh, that attorneys need to watch out for when practicing law through a virtual law, law office? And now uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, feel free to expand. Okay. Um, well, I think to begin with, uh, the ethics issues are really not that different than they are in a traditional law office. The same concerns are there. They're just a little bit more unique because of the way the, the way that the virtual office can expand um, its reach. And one of the key issues uh, has to do with the use of technology, and it's it's the confidentiality of the law office data. Um, mm-hmm. You know who has access to that, and and this is something that that the attorney has the individual responsibility for reviewing the um, the user agreement of the vendor that they choose, the software provider that's going to be hosting that data, and really asking questions of them to to find out what you know who is going to have access. Uh, in most cases, like with a data center, you know, a senior, a junior level administrator is not going to have access without a senior level's permission. You know, there's usually, it's quite rigid who has access to your data. Um, you know, you want to make sure that it's end-to-end encryption, that mm-hmm. during the transmission, the data, your law office data is staying encrypted um, because that helps to protect the confidentiality. Um, so a lot of that, 
uh, ties in together, but the bottom line is the attorney needs to research that and make sure they understand the level of protection that their provider um, has for the software. Um, One of the key issues with a virtual office is unbundling legal services because if it is completely web-based like mine is, um, then I'm having to unbundle. I I can't go to court for the client. So what I'm doing is um, when they register, I provide them with adequate notice, and I do it several times throughout the process, of exactly what services I am providing, but then more importantly, what services I am not providing. Um, Mm -hmm. That's key with unbundling legal services um, so that there's no confusion. And the different state bars have um, rules related to unbundling and and different requirements, and the ABA has an entire website. It's the ABA's uh, Standing Committee on the Delivery of Legal Services, and they have a white paper on unbundling uh, legal services. So I definitely recommend um, that your listeners check that out if they're interested in this because, like I said, each state has different requirements, but but the basics are just providing adequate notice to that client. Um, unbundling is great because it does increase access to justice um, for individuals that, you know, that can't maybe afford full service representation. So um, that's that's a real important ethical issue. Yeah, that's gaining some traction um, in Massachusetts as well. Unauthorized practice of law is another big one because uh, the attorney is online. They're potentially marketing outside of the jurisdiction where they're licensed to practice law. And mm-hmm. again, kind of similar to a traditional law firm's website, you just have to make sure that on your site you're putting on there only licensed to practice law in North Carolina. And then I have it several times throughout my um, my virtual law office. I have it in the click wrap agreement. I have it in my terms and conditions. I have it a jurisdiction check where when they register, if they're not within a zip code where I'm located, it sends up a red flag to myself and to them. So little checks in the process like that can really help you avoid um, unauthorized practice of law in other jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, that's some very clever uh, tech flagging you do there. Anything else on the ethics side? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of little ones, um, like conflict of interest is, is key, especially if you have a firm where you're integrating a virtual office, you have to make, make sure to, to run cross-checks, not just on your, your online clients by themselves. Make sure your system is checking your in-person clients with your, your online clients, um, being thorough that way, and just really defining the scope of each representation online, um, and if you're initiating that process online, having a very clear engagement process where you're uh, establishing the relationship and defining the scope um, and making sure, I mean, with the online systems, in some cases, it's it, the technology is actually helping to prevent malpractice because of all these checks. Like I said, I have, I have a conflict of interest check that it requires me to go through before I can work with the client. I have a jurisdiction check. Um, I have this process in place where I can't actually provide legal services to the client. So all of these, you know, malpractice, uh, check processes have gone through. So, um, I just, you know, whatever system you use, whether it's piecemeal or, or a, a, a solution, you need to make sure it has those in place. Right. Yeah. So establishing check downs is key. Now, um, here's your opportunity to wax poetic. <laughs> How will the virtual practice of law impact the future of the legal field and law practice management? Uh, well, I think <laughs> that it's coming faster than, than most attorneys um, are thinking. And 
if you look at LegalZoom, for example, or I think uslegal.com is another provider, NOLO, um, our clients, the public, are going online looking for legal services, and they're not necessarily doing it that safely. They're cutting and pasting documents together. Uh, you know, they're, they're using services that don't have attorney review, and they're doing it because, you know, it's, it's more convenient and it's more affordable. And, um, but the bottom line is they, they need attorney's guidance through this. And I think that the practices of the attorneys that can integrate virtual offices into their practice, you know, in some form, uh, I think are going to be ahead of the game um, because they're going to be appealing to those clients. And you have to think about the next generation, the, the Facebook generation. They're used to doing everything online. Um, they're going to want to go to attorneys and law firms that have some virtual component. Um, they won't understand, you know, having to make appointments and coming back two or three times. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, I, I think that this is a change that's coming. And, and also, too, you know, on a broader scope, looking at the globalization of law practice, what's happening in the U.K. and Australia, um, and, and, and look at, you know, what would happen here in terms of licensing and how some of those changes that may come up in the future and how virtual, you know, having a virtual law office and being able to expand across, you know, jurisdictions could be uh, competitive it's pretty broad-based uh, future of virtual law offices, so uh, I guess the message is to get in before it's too late. Um, thanks for all the great information this, today, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. You're uh, welcome. You're coming on. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Legal Toolkit. But remember that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So a very special thank you to our guest today, Stephanie Kimbrough. Now, Stephanie, if listeners want to get more information about you and what you do, how would they do so? Um, I have a blog where I write about uh, developments in virtual law practice, and it's um, virtuallawpractice.org. And then um, I have a book that's being published by the LPM called Delivering Legal Services Online, which will come out at the end of the summer. And they can email me if they want to. It's uh, slk at kimbrolaw.com. All right. Quite a few options there. So grab Stephanie's book when you get the chance. Uh, finally, a big thank you to our sponsor, Katuno Court Reporting. If you want more information about Katuno Court Reporting, visit www.katuno.cc. That's C-A-T. U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. And join us next time when we'll be back here at the Legal Toolkit. Thanks for listening to the Legal Toolkit, brought to you by Katuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, right here on the Legal Talk Network. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.